This episode, you meet Rich King, retired Air Force Colonel, uh, honor grad from the Air Force Academy class of 76. Rich and I met uh, one summer in uh, BCT when we were upperclassmen, and I actually uh, impressed him enough to where we stayed friends throughout our, uh, our long lives here. Um, he was a F-4 Wizzo for many years. After uh, reaching Colonel and retiring from the Air Force, he went to a company called Whitney, Bradley, and Brown and became a uh, consultant to uh, the military for improving the Air Force in all sectors. Rich has got a great attitude and a great message, and we have a funny story about our, our interaction with, with each other in Korea. So I always start off with the first question, and that is, what message do you want to give to the uh, incoming class, the uh, current cadets, the recent grads, and the old geezers like us? The message I would like to give to everybody is that anything worth doing is always going to be hard. And there's an old saying that says, everything looks like failure in the middle. <laughs> you know, you're going to feel <laughs> like you're struggling. This isn't going to work out. This isn't worth it. I don't know why we're doing this. Just just hang tough and, and things work out for, for you and for your class and for the Air Force and for America. Over. Yeah, cool. Or the Navy. Yeah, or the Navy. <laughs> Why'd you go there in the first place? Why did I go to the Air Force Academy? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I, uh, I, uh, I was a military brat. My dad had... Um, gone to the Naval Academy, and then he'd been um, one of the first coaches at the Air Force Academy for Ben Martin, who was still the coach even when we were there. And um, I just kind of never really, I got into Navy, I got into Air Force. I just never really thought about going anywhere else. I, I almost went there as a reflex, which caused me to have to, you know, that everybody has that dark night of the soul somewhere in their first couple of years <laughs> when they go, what am I even doing here and why do I even want to be here? So I had to go through that after I got there that rather than before that, but it all worked out in the end. I so was that, sort of preordained to go there, I guess. So you, you jumped a question ahead, but that, so we're, uh, we'll get to that in a minute. You, you, you had the dark night of the soul. Did you ever think of quitting? Oh yeah. Yeah. Somewhere. Um, it was uh, somewhere in the middle of uh, sophomore year when I began to realize that pilots ran the Air Force. And I probably wasn't going to be pilot qualified. Yeah. And, you know, we'd gone through that period. Uh, we were coming on the back end of Vietnam. And if you could walk and chew gum, you went to pilot training in the late 60s. But, uh, you know, it was going to be very tough for us. So so that was kind of a, a, a tough time there. Why do I want to go through all this and then and then not to get to be a pilot? And then you you learned that sophomore year. So you still had the chance to do the USAFA JC thing. Yeah, I could have. But I, you know, I just didn't. <laughs> I, I didn't want to be a quitter. Obviously, sophomore year is a really hard year. It's, yeah. it's a tough time for all of us. And uh, But I, I had friends there and a lot of commitments and a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that had already gone into it. And um, I just uh, figured I'd hang tough and make the best of it. Cool. Now, I think I think that's kind of the, 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 the verbs, like, or the message I'm getting from a lot of the guys that, you know, we had a uh, – we had a pretty tight class for whatever reason. 
I think every class is pretty tight, but we had a kind of a special special situation with the war ending and the people hating military guys off campus, and you just felt like you had to bond together pretty close. Yeah, we were all together. Not to mention we had we had sev- classes seventy four and seventy five showing us what not to do and how not to be. <laughs> <laughs> I tried not to throw dirt on the other guys, but yeah, I, I would agree. Um, so you were an Air Force brat. What were what were your favorite place growing up? Uh, the Air Force Academy in 1960 was a really fun place. The uh, the housing areas had just been carved out of the wilderness. There was a lot of excitement and kind of national attention there. So that was always fun. Um, Germany was fun. Japan was fun. It, it's kind of it's it's not as hard being a military kid as a lot of, as a lot of people think. You know, I can remember coming back to the academy and there were there were five or six people in our class who had been friends of mine growing up at various bases around the country you know the military was not quite a self-perpetuating the officer corps wasn't a self-perpetuating organization at that time like it is now but it was it was close to getting there there i had a lot of friends from uh you know that i'd grown up with around the world cool yeah, I, I was also a military brat, and I had one guy that I had run into uh, from our class that was uh, he and I gone to junior high together in rural Alabama. But I, <laughs> yeah. but that was about it. There would not, and there was one guy from my high school that went to started with us and didn't finish with us. Yeah, yeah, we had some of that. Yeah, but so I had friends. I mean, you didn't see them. You didn't see anybody. wasn't in your squad yeah. for yeah. year except in class. But uh, I, I'll tell you one thing, uh, John. I was a uh, one of the people that did the interviews for service academy appointments for a congresswoman in Northern Virginia uh, a few years ago. And I was watching these kids come in and they have been raised from birth to go to a service academy. Both their parents, <laughs> both their parents are service academy graduates. They've got every square filled, you know, straight A's, maxed out board scores, jobs, entrepreneurs, captain of three varsity teams you know it, it, we just kind of bumbled our way in there whereas i think it's a little bit different these days i don't know if i would have got in under the you know the way it is now well i think we can all say that about everything <laughs> yeah <laughs> so what was a uh, dual year like for you for me I was on the football team as a freshman, so I kind of got to skate on the worst part of dually training. I was on the, you know, on the football tables. I found uh, I got tight with my own classmates. Uh, My squadron wasn't that that, you know, completely moto gung ho. Um, I found the academics to be really, really pretty difficult. All of a sudden, everybody's really smart. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget, uh, we're, we're in there, it's the midterm of the freshman year, and the freshman football team had lost a bunch of people for grades, and Ben Martin, the head football coach, is sitting there going th- down the grades there, and he goes, King, F in math. <laughs> and he looks at me, you know, and he goes, son, you're only on this team because you're supposed to be smart. <laughs> 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 That was a highly more, uh, you know, that was a very embarrassing moment there. It took that line yeah. right to Animal House, the movie, right? Right. Just like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. That's awesome. 
So I, I didn't know you were on the football team. So what position was your your? Strength? I was a defensive back. I you know I I mostly rode the pine there. Yeah, they needed guys just to be able to have enough people in practice. And uh, um, you know I played hard, but the the game had just moved on past me. There were too many too many better players. It was fun though. You know it's, it's yeah. fun to do that. Well, it's fun to get off the uh, off the tables. <laughs> it was really fun to get off the table. Yeah. <laughs> So what was which uh, squadron was your dual year? I was in thirty five, which was between thirty five and thirty eight, and a couple more. They were widely considered to be the easiest ones on to be a dually. I, I didn't think so, but um, I thought it was a you know I think that our class, as far as our class, it was probably the normal cross section of cadets. But a lot of the upperclassmen were were interested in other things besides making life hard on duallys. Yeah, and they had carpets up there, right? Yeah, we had a vacuum a lot, but I didn't learn to buff till I was a sophomore. Yeah. So then, uh, then you end up in uh, sophomore year in thirtieth squadron, right? Yeah, we all went back in those days. You know, you went uh, to. Uh, they've done it different ways, but you reconstituted a class out of your old out of all the different squadrons, which I thought that was a that was a good thing because everybody got another chance. Your dually, however you did dually year, mostly didn't follow you. And 38, 30 was a, a, a good squadron, um, pretty tough bunch of firsties. And the interesting thing about 30 was it was right by the armory and, the, you know, and just above like the dental hobby shop and that stuff. So it was sort of the crossroads of the academy. And you, you'd see a lot of people there. We were right, right next to 29 and 36 and, uh, and other squadrons. But we, we also had a lot of other people from your class from all across the 40 squadrons that would come dragging through there periodically for some reason or another. Get their M1 cleaned. <laughs> yeah, turn it in. You remember going on leave and the line would be a thousand people standing there trying to turn their weapon in before. I'm, we're trying to study for finals. And there's a thousand people in line smoking and joking in the in the hallways <laughs> trying to turn their weapon in. Well, oh, man. So what the... Uh... What did the academics and and uh, military uh, lifestyle mean for you as an upperclassman? And when when did you end the your football deal? Uh, I got cut in the spring of uh, freshman year. Okay, you know, they they used to have a JV team at the academy and that that played like junior colleges and stuff, and they got rid of that that year because that was the first year that freshmen could play on varsity in the NCAA. Uh -huh. If you remember Dave Lawson and. Randy Spetman were playing varsity. You know, the, the best players in our freshman team went via far direct to, to varsity. So they had they just kind of cut the the program back. Um, so so the, the what was the rest of the question, John? So then what what uh, when you went up to thirtieth and you had academics and a regular regular cadet life? How how was that transition for you? Uh. I thought it was it it wasn't as hard as I mean most most people don't end up being at varsity athletes there. Um, it just you just kind of got in the routine of uh, your academics, your military, your intramurals, and all those different kinds of things. I found that uh, sophomore year was hard. You know, we had we're going to a new squadron, uh, and uh, we had that a big academic load and. Um, uh, I, I just thought, but I mean, just like everybody else, you, you figure out how, how to do it and how to get through it. And that, that sophomore year was, was really kind of the formative year for, for what I think I, I, I spent some time 
one day, you know, trying to figure out what, what is the value of an academy education? What does that bring? That's probably one of your questions. And it's not that you become an engineer or you learn small unit leadership or you learn to fly or any of that. It's that you learn to stand up to stress that would make 99 out of 100 people's knees buckle. Okay, that's what you come out of that play that that place with is the ability to endure stress that most people just can't do. You got two GRs tomorrow, a boxing match, and uh, oh yeah, I got a bunch of paperwork to do for this. And you know, <laughs> some of us would be, and it happened all the time. It happened every yeah. week. You know, well, <laughs> yeah, in my case. I'd show up at the first day of class and be 700 pages behind him, four or five topics. Yeah. I'm like, what the heck happened here? <laughs> it was all about teaching. And, you know, we, we, some of us would sweat it. Some, there were some gifted people that didn't ever seem to sweat it. And it came to them, you know, pretty easily, but everybody who graduated from that place learned how to prioritize, to manage, to tough it out. And that is a great gift that most people never get. I will get through this somehow. This yeah. is not the end of the world. The sun's coming up tomorrow, you know? Yeah. So, so. Um, with that in mind, how many positive lists did you make there? Like, oh, for me? Yeah. Uh, I made most of them. I was a big striver. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I... Being a history major was made it a little bit easier than trying to be a civil engineer or one of those guys, you know. Um, yeah, because I think I, you and I met when you were on the summer beast wing staff. Yeah, I did that. I did it. Uh, we were out in the tents that one time when I was a, 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 a junior, a, a two degree. And then uh, first summer, Jack and I, Jack Cat and I ran Jack's Valley and we were out there in the tents and going to uh, Jimmy Rose and uh, Steve Lowraker's bar. <laughs> Remember, we had that little bar. We'd go out and drink 3.2 beer out in Jack's Valley. <laughs> it was legal. We were okay, you know, but yeah, it was a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, so did you do third lieutenant? I did. I had a great time, as a matter of fact. I went to Hahn Air Force Base, Germany. And uh, uh, which was a base that I was actually lived at as a dependent once when my dad was flying F-100s. They had Phantoms there. And I, uh, you know, I sat out in the mobile and re recorded landings. I ran the snack bar and I sat in the back of the F-4. And uh, five years later, I was, you know, in Korea, basically running the snack bar, <laughs> sitting in the back of the F-4 and grading <laughs> landings out in mobile. That was in your program. future. That this is, is your future. program for motivating people, I think. Any other summer activities stick out? I know the wing staff was pretty impressive. Uh, anything else you did? Uh, you know, when jump school was really, well, of course, Siri was a real rite of passage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that was just, you know, it was, uh, we, we were the first class, I think, that had the Vietnam uh, POWs experiences. Everybody else had templated been based on korean war and so we had some new and hard things that we went through um the track and, and losing all that weight and then and th so that was that was actually you know 
that was a very good program, I thought. And then going <laughs> to jump school and getting treated like an army private was a better deal than being a cadet trying to go to class. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I thought that was kind of fun, too. You know, <laughs> um, I liked all the summer programs. They just seemed so short. You know, a couple of travel days, you're only there about two and a half weeks. Yeah. And then you're right back in, right back in class again on the 10th of August. Yep. No, man. Start, start to grind up again. Yep. So then you graduated. How high up in the class were you? Oh, you know, I was 28, 29, something, something like that. It was. Um, so just just for comparison's sakes, everybody who's listening to these prior uh, uh, sessions, everybody in Pink Panthers, the top grad in our class was 110. <laughs> so Rich was in a league of way above us. <laughs> Being a history major, man, it was easy. You know? Well, I was a history major. I was number nine oh seven, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know what they call the last John? What do they call the last guy in his medical school class? A uh, doctor. Right. That's exactly <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I always tell I, I tell people somebody's got to flunk out of Harvard every year to hire the graduates. So. <laughs> You know, I remember Mike Hoyas. We're still good friends. He was in 29 down the hall. I don't think he ever saw the light of day. He he had, you know, every holiday, every summer, every, every, everything. He was fighting to get through, uh, just to get through the academics. And, you know, he was a very fine colonel in the Air Force flying the F-15E <laughs> and dropping a bomb on Qaddafi's tent. So, well, you know, there you go. A lot of... Uh, Yusafa is sort of a little bubble, and I wish I hadn't taken it quite as seriously looking back on it. The place had a lot to offer there. There was the mountaineering club, and there was the cadet club. There were all kinds of things to do besides just the regular program. And I I don't think that standing, of course, the, the top people, they, they obviously were very, very successful. But how you were as a cadet, I don't think correlates a whole lot to how what kind of officer uh, people were after they graduated. Well, that's, that's good. That's good to hear. <laughs> um, so you graduated and you went off to Northern California. I did. I went to Sacramento, which wasn't quite, a, it was, it was a pretty good place uh, back in those days. And we, we had a, a good bunch of guys. I think we had about uh, 70 all together that went to nav school. Of course, almost every airplane in, in, in the, in the mid seventies, uh, the air force had 4,000 F4s and a thousand F111s and 500 KC-135, everything they needed a lot of navigators. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's where we went. Um, and that was fun. That was a fun, uh, six or eight months. It wasn't very hard after going to the air force Academy. <laughs> and and if, especially if you took what airmanship 390 or whatever, 490, the, the one. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of yeah, had a head start. You yeah. had a head start. That's right. What, uh, and then from there, you got. Did you get your first choice? I did. I wanted a the, the uh, uh, I wanted an F four. Um, the top graduates in the class normally wanted either an RF four an F one eleven, and I was somewhere in the like upper third. I, I had some trouble with trying to find the stars out of the that when we used to you know use the sextant. Anyway, I got what I wanted. I got an F four. I went to uh, Luke for training. And then from there, I went to Alaska for a new squadron they were standing up. And I see on your on your thing, you, it, it's, it went from Wizzo to Iwizzo. What's the difference? That's where you make, that's like becoming an instructor. So okay. when you're a line Wizzo, you go there and you're, you're flying with a very experienced pilot and you're learning a lot. And then 
And then once you get maybe three to 500 hours, you go through an instructor program and now you're flying with the brand new guy right out of pilot training, which, which was pretty fun, you know, in a place like Alaska where the weather was terrible and you were <laughs> <laughs> having to use it, you know, having to take the cable all the time and, and that kind of stuff. But it, it was, it was a fun assignment. So, uh, two years in, in or three years in Elmendorf, right? Yeah. Three in Elmendorf. Um, and then uh, your infamous trip to Tegu. Yeah, when I went to Hooterville, uh, <laughs> I remember sitting down. The guy from, uh, you, you know how we, well, we were in the Navy, but we always hated the assignments guys. So the guy comes in, and at that time there were sixteen F four bases in the in the Air Force. And the guy comes in and says, "Well, uh, Kane, you've you've done pretty well here. Uh, where where would you like to go?" And I said, "Well, look." I'm not that particular. I, I, I just don't want to go to Homestead Air Force Base in <laughs> Florida. I'll go anywhere but Homestead because that was when there was all the drug trouble. You know, that, that, that was the height of the drug wars. In yeah. the US and uh, um, they had old airplanes that were broke all the time. And I didn't really want to do that mission. So he goes, no problem. The next thing I know. I got orders to Homestead. <laughs> so I come up and I say, what, what the heck? And he goes, well, I'll tell you what, if you'll volunteer for Korea, and make it your first choice, <laughs> then I'll, otherwise you're going to Homestead. So I changed and I ended up volunteering for Korea, which actually turned out to be a, a very, a very good deal for me. Was that accompanied or, or was that? On- no, those were remote. In those days, everybody was going to get one sooner or later, you know, because we had, we had a lot of stuff uh, remote and overseas and I'd just gotten married a year before, but I got over there. Um, the flying was great. Uh, I when, made, when, you, uh, when the weather was good enough yeah when the weather was good enough and i was in this <laughs> i was in this squadron that was a called the night owls and it was a night squadron and it had nothing that anybody else didn't have it just they made us fly at night a lot the theory being we'd be better at night than than somebody else but it was mostly just a lot of instrument flying but i i got uh i got i made the the gun smoke team uh, for PACAF, which was a, a gunnery competition that, that was held at Nellis, that, which was really cool. It was actually on ESPN one time. And then um, I got curtailed a couple months to go to the fighter weapons school. So I, I ended up actually only spending about 10 months there. And uh, I'll never forget uh, one infamous week where my squadron somehow ended up in your base with you there. It was the Midway guys, wasn't it? John? Yeah, yeah, we were, yeah, we're Midway guy. We flew in, and um, I think the for for whatever reason, our airplane was heavier than your airplane, but we were considered safe enough to fly in this bad weather. But you guys were not. I'm not still not sure how that that math worked out. <laughs> the Navy's like had whatever. Different men's, yeah. But I remember they did a fly off from all the Midway guys. We had quite a big party there. Of course. Tegu, the, the only Americans there were the air crews and some of the maintenance people. The Koreans did all the maintenance, so our airplanes flew flew great. And we that was a, that was a really good time. Yeah, we used to do a lot with Midway because there was there were three navies back then. There was Lant Fleet, Pac Fleet, and Midway. Yeah, I know, I know, I know them <laughs> all three of them very well. <laughs> yeah, Midway was a little different. Sure. That that'll be a different story for another time. Right. But anyway, for folks listening in. Uh, Lot prior to a, a reunion at the at the, in DC with a bunch of guys, I hadn't seen Rich since uh, 1981 in Tegu, Korea, uh, at a BOQ uh, 
infirmary where we had left him because he had he had had a slight accident i had a slight accident i went sliding down the flagpole (laughs) we're we're having uh typical uh inner service rivalry antics air force versus navy and and poor rich took the the brunt of it (laughs) a bag of flour right in the face oh yeah down the flagpole yeah that's right that was a good one yeah i was lucky i still got to fly after that well i'm I'm, was not happy yeah Um, (laughs) well what the best part about that was when i was telling the story to jack cat it was what he had never heard before so i thought oh jack hadn't heard that one yeah yeah i know i know I do something about you that he didn't know. He was pretty upset about that. <laughs> uh, and then, then you end up at uh, California again. Yes. Uh, I, I went to the weapons school, which was a six-month program at Nellis. Uh, I flew, went through that program with Steve Lowraker from our class. He's a great pilot. Uh, and then I got to go to, uh, um, to uh, George Air Force Base in Victorville, California, out in the desert. And I was an instructor for the German version of, of fighter weapon school for the mm. Luftwaffe. So twice a year, we got uh, eight, uh, eight German air crews and uh, the, the airplanes actually belonged to the German government. The German government paid all the fees and uh, did a lot of great flying there for a couple of years. And then, and then while you're doing that, you got, went to Oklahoma. Is that right? I went to Oklahoma when I went over to Hickam because they had, uh, when you, oh, I never thought I'd go to you know Oklahoma, but they had a great program. If you were, uh, they would uh, send you all the books ahead of time to get your master. You take a one course at a time, and you did it all in one week. You went to class all day Sunday, Monday through Friday from six to ten, and then you went in on Saturday and took the final, and then you sent the paper in. So. Uh, you could actually get, and you got the real professor from Oklahoma, not just some local, and uh, um, uh, you know, managed to get a master's degree while flying and working on the staff in about in about eighteen months, which was really really pretty good. So, so hang on. You, you first off, you turned down Miami to go to Korea. Yeah, and then you're in Hawaii, and you and you're doing classes ten hours a day. <laughs> no, I, I mean, you, you get to that point where it. You know, having a master's when you're, uh, let's see, I guess I was a major already, but it's kind of a loyalty check. They just expect you, the Air Force, that was the only differentiator. And uh, the Oklahoma program, which was a master's in public affairs, which is a master's in the bureaucracy. And I was getting ready to go to the Pentagon. So that was a perfect master's to get, but... (laughs) It was a real it was a real master's degree you really learned stuff and you only had to have pain for one really hard week a month instead okay. of twice so twice a week forever okay i'm just trying i'm trying to understand the, the, yeah. there's no beach time for you it's all no but it was the fastest way to get a master's degree. yeah really no, that's was. cool I'm proud of you for getting that. that that's good and then yeah off to the pentagon where you were an action officer what does that mean that means you're the you're kind of the lowest guy on the food chain of, <laughs> of all the staff. I went to the same office with uh, um, Jack Catton was there, Joe Shirey was there. Um, I think everybody in that entire office made general, but me. But we were the, you know, the the majors that did the did the point papers and did the analysis and and you know did all wrote the speeches and the briefings and all that kind of stuff. Very interesting. You learn how the money works. You can get cynical working at the Pentagon, though. Jack never did, but most of the rest of us did. (laughs) 
Uh, okay. And then I see somehow you got sent back to Air Force. I was, uh, I was, you know, working for the secretary of the Air Force, just doing normal staff officer kind of stuff. And they, there was a request that came in. They were looking for somebody to take over the T-43. They had a T-43 squadron. The guard guys at Buckley flew the planes and then the instructors came from from out of the academy and it and they taught basic airmanship and some navigation and the, the airmanship kind of stuff uh um so it was kind of a faculty department and then also part of the part of the flying program and um they, they were kind of struggling a little bit getting it squared away they and i got asked if i wanted to go do it and I, I wanted to command a squadron everybody wants to do that it wasn't what i wanted to do i you know i wanted to to get a fighter squadron, but to have a backseater command a fighter squadron was still pretty rare. It wasn't unheard of, but it was it was pretty rare. So, so I I took the assignment and went back to the academy for for um, for two years. Yeah, so and you didn't have to go up to the cadet area much, so you got to actually enjoy the place again. <laughs> it wasn't bad. Yeah, I lived up in Monument. Um, some things had changed, some things hadn't. Um, I uh, I didn't. I mean, I, I I enjoyed having the squadron. You had you had a lot of people there on the faculty that don't want to be Air Force officers; they want to be college professors. And so, <laughs> I just ground them and take their flight pay away, and that generally had a pretty good effect <laughs> getting, getting them back to doing what they were supposed to be. Doing. Fix, fix their attitude real quick. Huh? Yeah, well, you guys, you're going to make a decision here, but you're not having it both ways. So, so yeah. So, so Rich was the hard butt. <laughs> So that was kind of fun, though. You know, we took the we took the airplanes and uh, we we actually in spring break, we we had, you know, 20 cadets. And we took uh, we took two and went to uh, Ramstein, and, you know, went to Europe and did that. And then the next year we figured out that we had 700 pounds more fuel that than uh, than a 737 had. So we we took the Academy airplanes and all the cadets went from um, went from. Colorado from Peterson to Travis to Hickam to Wake to Guam to Kunsan to Osan to Misawa to Elmendorf and back. Yeah. <laughs> With a bunch of what kind of airplanes? T forty three, seven thirty sevens. Oh, okay. okay. Came up with came up initial at Kunsan with two of them and not exactly in fingertip and pitched out there at Kunsan. Okay. I, I did something similar in a EA six B, but we had to get a C one thirty refuel or yeah, C one thirty air refueling. No, we could just barely make it. And yeah, we I've been to Wake Island twice in my life. Yeah, it's not much of a place, is it? <laughs> it? It's actually a great place if you get stuck there because I was there for 48 hours and I really enjoyed the beach and just relaxing. And, but yeah, it is, there's nothing else to do there except no. eat some fish and <laughs> drink some beer and look at the sun. That's it, yeah. Um, and after the, that academy deal, you went off to uh, get a, I, I see, a uh, graduate diploma in what we went to a national war college uh well you know there was like 40 air force 40 navy 40 army people and it was there at fort mcnair and it's like air war college except okay. it was joint so we got a master's in national security studies and then almost everybody out of there ends up going to the joint staff or osd something like that and then you ended up being the executive officer for uh, somebody important right 
Yeah, I went to be the, uh, the, the military assistant for the director of Defense Security Assistance Agency, which, which was a, um, it's a part of the Office of Secretary of Defense that manages all of the foreign military sales of weapons and training to our friends and allies. So, and uh, my boss was an Army three-star. And you know, the Army takes this mentoring stuff pretty pretty seriously. You know, you're a colonel carrying the bag around for this three-star, and he's making everything a teaching moment, uh, <laughs> which was good, you know. But I, I also got to go – well, we went to Saudi Arabia like once a month trying to get him to pay their bills. But um, um, got to, you know, go to a lot of different places and see a lot of high-level discussions and learn how that kind of part of the money works. So, so that, that was a lot of travel, but it was a it was a – it was a good, good tour. Yeah. So in all your flying, cause this was, this is pretty much the end of your flying days, right? Yeah. Did you ever have any close calls? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you don't you want know, to talk in, about uh, That's fine. <laughs> in the, in the seventies, you remember what it was like, you know, oh, yeah. we, we lost a flying glove. You had to wait till the next year to get money to buy another glove. Um, <laughs> We had, you know, we had engine fires and, and, and things like that and uh, um, some weather and ice and skidding off the road. I never had to punch out, but I probably had two or three times afterwards where you get the where you get that adrenaline rush where you almost want to throw up afterwards. Yeah, it doesn't hit you till after you're back at the <laughs> till yeah. la- at the yeah. old club or whatever. Yeah. Right. So all right. Um, and then uh, you made the decision to retire. I did, John. Um, I had, uh, you know, I was coming out of uh, out of this OSD job, and I thought I'd done a pretty good job. And um, um, I, I screened, you know, I screened for command, but they, the Air Force, actually offered me to go be the base commander at, at Wright Patterson. And um, uh, I'm thinking about this. Let's see, there's. 5,000 unionized civilians, 21 general officers and senior executive service people on the base and no airplanes. And my dad had gotten grounded and he ended up having to be a, a, being a base commander for a while. And I just said, you know, that I, this is just not a good fit for me. Yeah. It's just, it, I, it's, everybody's got to know their limitations and, and doing something like that was probably mine. So, um, I figured I'd, I'd done my best, done my share for the Air Force, and uh, all the fun parts were over. I mean, I'd been happy to just go take a, a command and control wing or something. I wasn't thinking sure. I was going to get a flying wing, but I just wasn't going to be a good fit to be a combat support group commander. So I, I asked to uh, I asked to retire, and uh, the Air Force let me go. And so you moved all the way to, from the Pentagon to Herndon, Virginia. No, I didn't move at all. I just went <laughs> to a small company that was starting up there that, you know, did a, was a, a lot of people live in, in, uh, in Northern Virginia because they come out of the Pentagon. That's where the jobs are. When yeah. Retire. If you're not going to be an airline pilot, which is the best gig there is uh, for a middle-class person, uh, then um, that's, that's where the jobs are. I went to high school, Herndon High School. That's why 
Is that right? I'm making fun <laughs> of that, yeah. <laughs> and we were of the general. I was the your starting left tackle on the Hernan Hornets when we got yeah. murdered by the uh, T.C. Williams Titans. That's right. So I, that I like to, that's right. I <laughs> like telling everybody, hey, that my high school was so bad they made a movie about a team that kicked our ass. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I was the same year. I was across. I was over in Maryland. That was. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I had to go up against this. These guys kept crushing me. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. This game got to end soon. They put three high schools together, and they wonder why they're the best. Yeah, <laughs> it was actually three, and they wonder why they're the best high school. It was three, the and they got to go for like a month ahead of time to get ready. To, yeah, you know, they did. To, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I liked that movie, but it was over dramatized. They were superstars from day one. Yeah, yeah, they didn't have. There was no conflict. There was no no competitiveness for until the last no, game, no, and even no. that was a joke. Right. Um. So what? What is uh, WBB? WBB was it's it's WBB stood for Whitney Bradley and Brown, which sounds like a law firm, but it's actually Hot Dog Brown's two kids, Whitney and Bradley. So it was a very small company that did uh, analysis for not for the government, but more like for Lockheed Martin and Boeing when they wanted an honest answer and not from their marketeers. <laughs> and uh, it was a. Uh, um, I liked it. It was, a, it was basically what we'd call a startup now. It had a unique niche, and they went from like four to twelve to twenty-four to forty-eight. To, and that's when I joined. And company recently sold to Circo uh, last year after twenty years, and probably had you know finally broke a hundred million dollars in business. It was a good second career. I liked it. it that's great. A, and what kind of things did you do for them? I, uh, I started out just kind of doing analysis and, and concept of operations for, for kind of new systems. I did some work for Lockheed over whether the, the, who was going to want the C-130J and how many. We did a lot of work early on for the Joint Strike Fighter over how much of the money should go to avionics and how much of the money per, should go to stealth, things like that. And I was proud of the company because we always told the customer the truth and we didn't necessarily stick them in the eye with it but it was uh you know um it was a you get paid to to tell the customer what you really thought the best answer was so and i not trying to lead them down some path you just tell them hey this is what's going on we didn't tell them what they wanted to hear you know they yeah. raytheon would bring something to us and i'd have a project to do a study and illustrate it and say if we do this if we do this with the harm missile, will the Navy and the Air Force want it or will they not want it or will they like this feature or not? So you're kind of like being a surrogate customer and then yeah. you go on the road and interview people and kind of kind of bridge the gap between the, the government requirements people and what what the manufacturers wanted to, wanted to build. And then uh, it looks like after uh, a long career with those guys, you went to another company for a short time and now you retired. Yeah, I was actually going to retire. I mean, I, I I liked it at WBB. I got to do different things. Uh, the only part I didn't like at the time that I was there was uh, running all the proposals, which are very difficult, you know, answering government requests for proposal. Um, the acquisition system's kind of broken in DOD and the government, although I will say that DOD is still the crown jewel. The federal government is messed up as it is. Um, do you, do you find it's return. broken because there's so many, uh, so much change? It's too much reports? paperwork. Yeah, there's just too many. You know, it's just it, it, you, it's just too hard. 
to get a fair answer. And then, yeah. so it ends up just going to the lowest bidder because that's the, the easiest way. Yeah. So I'm, I was sitting there in DC and I'm uh, trying to figure out where I'm going to retire. And like most of us, I use the, uh, the retirement plan that says, follow your daughter while she follows the boy. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my daughter had gone to high point university in North Carolina and she liked it in North Carolina and she married a nice guy and then grandbaby started to come. So my wife says, we're moving to North Carolina. So, All right. but, uh, right as I'm going, I get this call from this small company, uh, at Pax River, at Patuxent River, called Avian. Nice little company. And it was sort of like WBB was when I joined. And they said, we'd like you to come to work for us for, you know. And I said, look, I just retired. And they said, well, you've been through all this. You know what it takes to try to kind of to try to grow in a company like this. So would you just come down here and help us? So I actually went to Pax River like four days a week until COVID hit. And then we then we all started yeah virtually but so i did another year and a half for them which i had to, had not intended to do and uh sorry there's that's, that's my, right. rescue, my rescue pit bull going off on the neighbor here <laughs> molly hush sorry john hey rich i think rich, we're at the end of the show all right, hope, all right john hopeless thanks i hope i didn't come off as too arrogant or anything no nah, you're good stop it <laughs>